welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, here again with Freya Spence, and our guest today is Dr. Sharon Kelly. Sharon is a board-certified naturopathic doctor and certified functional medicine practitioner. The founder of the Bayview Natural Health Clinic, Sharon has been in family practice in Toronto for over 14 years. Her special interest is in preventative medicine, which involves looking for and addressing the underlying cause of disease rather than just masking the symptoms. This approach jives perfectly with ours here at Move Daily. So without further ado, Sharon, welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So we've done our little high-level intro, Mm -hmm. and we know that your skill set goes well beyond what we just put out there. Can you give us a little bit of a background of what got you into where you are today? So I always imagined myself being in medicine. Um, and when I was about 19, my mother got multiple sclerosis. And it was my first experience with the medical system. And, um, and I had this vision that you have a problem You see the specialist, they give you a diagnosis easily, and then there is a solution presented. Unfortunately, that's not the case. It's a little bit more complicated, and the solutions that were offered didn't seem to make sense from my perspective. Uh, There was no curiosity as to why it presented at that point. Um, The solutions seemed really extreme with a lot of side effects, not a lot of consistent findings. So it just started to pique my curiosity about how we look at disease and how we manage disease and how we treat disease. And so I started to just open up to the idea of what else is out there. I'd actually never even heard of a naturopath at that point. And so I started to research and I liked the philosophy of trying to figure out cause. Mm -hmm. And if you can find cause, then my thought process was that potentially you could actually even create cure. So that's really how I got started. I went to school, sort of did the traditional um, training, intense, great program. I started practice and right off the bat, I realized that people are complicated, (laughs) really, really, really complicated. And um, many people got well and then many people didn't. So really what's driven me is that I've had this sort of large uh, group of patients that almost no matter what I did, I couldn't seem to budge their main chief complaints. So since I've been in practice, I've probably learned 100 times more than I learned in school. School is a great jumping off point, and I have spent the last 14 years trying to learn to think and surround myself with really smart mentors to teach me how to think. Um, And that's sort of where I've ended up today, still on this journey. (laughs) This uh, whole health industry is one where you can never stop learning, should you choose to. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And actually, that brings me to my next question on the term functional medicine. A lot of people get confused by that right. or confused by the term naturopathic doctor. Right. Can you give us a little bit of a definition of those, you know, in terms yeah. of how they practice perhaps so that the listeners can understand a little bit better? Yeah, absolutely. Functional medicine is a really big hot term right now. Essentially, functional medicine is focusing on cause of disease. Um, From my perspective, I think functional medicine is just a way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, You can use pharmaceuticals from a functional medicine perspective. You can use lifestyle from a functional medicine perspective, but it's continuously going back to cause. Mm -hmm. What is the trigger or the cause that manifests the symptoms? Um, Versus naturopathic medicine to me is functional medicine. Mm -hmm. It's trying to continuously go to the deepest root of physiology to figure out the trigger. Yeah, And it's it's fascinating to me because growing up, the impression is always, you know, a doctor Mm -hmm. is kind of the top of the hierarchy in terms Mm -hmm. of if I have something wrong with my health, a doctor will fix it. And as a kid, I remember, you know, you just go through life and think, okay, if I go to a doctor, they're going to find the cause and the cure and you're Mm -hmm. going to be off and you're going to be good. And that's how the system works. Unfortunately, as I've gotten older, I've realized that a lot of the 
the regular system, the conventional mm-hmm. system that we have here is really based on the symptomatic approach. It's like, here's the symptom and we can throw a lot of stuff at this to make you feel better, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily going to resolve the core issue, which no. is why I know Frey and I both have gravitated more towards practitioners like you who have this approach to really dig down deep to the core of the of the issue. And I will also note that we had a podcast uh, four or five episodes ago with two GPs in the Toronto area. Mm-hmm. And both of them take a very, uh, what would be termed a holistic approach, because both of them acknowledge that their schooling was one where you follow a protocol that ultimately ends up in medication. Mm -hmm. And both of them through the first decade of practice realize that, oh, we can actually change this through lifestyle. But that's not necessarily how, yeah, the whole system largely works. What the biggest challenge is, is that the medical doctors are, they're experts in pathology. Mm -hmm. And so they do um, overall a pretty incredible job at labeling the pathology, which is very important. It's hard. It's very hard. It is uh, probably the most important first step Mm -hmm. is to make sure you rule out a majorly pathological process that requires um, immediate aggressive mm-hmm. intervention. Once that's been ruled out, there is a huge area that is not well managed by um, the pathological approach because we have health, mm-hmm. we have a long sort of um, path of dysfunction, and then we have pathology. So within Western medicine, we have really quite effective uh, pathological algorithms. Mm-hmm. So if you have a symptom presentation and the end diagnosis is, let's say, appendicitis, you need to follow that algorithm and treat it aggressively. Now, appendicitis is not that common. So if along that algorithm, you realize you don't have appendicitis, but you have something like an upset stomach or constipation or diarrhea that's ongoing, just because it's not appendicitis or one of the other pathologies, it doesn't mean it's normal. But unfortunately, in Western medicine, there's not a lot of space um, and time or testing really to look at things that are deemed subpathological. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where um, naturopathic medicine comes in, and that's where functional medicine can come in and start to look at where are the changes that are happening on a cellular level that involve um, lifestyle factors that are leading to, to dysfunction that doesn't meet the criteria of major pathology. Yeah. And that's where our conversations previously have gone in terms of teamwork, <laughs> right? Like we need MDs, we need Absolutely. NDs, we need DOs, we yes. need kind of everything, yes. uh, everyone to pitch in to mm-hmm. sort of figure that out. And I love that analogy or not analogy, sorry, the layout that you just gave with that gap between health and pathology because it's a huge one. And environment plays a role. Emotions play a role. Absolutely. Uh, the yeah. food that we put in, the stress that we're under. So within the last 14 years of practice, what would you say some of the biggest changes are that you've seen within your patient population in terms of ailments that they're coming in with? Um, you know, there's probably two major categories. Uh, one is immune system dysfunction. So either an overactive immune response or a lack of focused immune response resulting in things like allergies, asthma, eczema, autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. You know, now I see a lot of children with autoimmunity and that was not the case 14 years ago. And the second category is toxicity. I think our environment has become unbelievably toxic and our exposures are going up exponentially and our ability to detoxify can't necessarily keep up with the load. And on top of that, if there are any um, genetic defects that we carry that impact detoxification, our exposures become more impactful. So those are really the two main categories, infection and detoxification. Great. And, and when you talk about environmental impacts mm-hmm. that are now affecting us more than maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, What are some of those major environmental impacts that you're talking about? The main one that I see is the impact of mold exposure on our biochemistry. Uh, Mold seems to be uh, much more common, or now we're just aware of it. You know, we know that mold is everywhere in the external environment. Mm 
Um, but when it starts to affect our internal environment, depending on our genetics, we can have a response to that. Mm-hmm. We can have an allergic response to that, or we can have um, a toxic response to that. So my experience has been mold is deeply, deeply impactful. It's not always the problem, but it's often the obstacle to get at the problem. Okay. And what are some of the symptoms that people might exhibit if mold's um, affecting them? That's a great question. Uh, you know, the most common symptoms would be things like brain fog, um, numbness, tingling, fatigue, any kind of neurological presentations, sometimes sort of funny little ticks. So an eye that twitches. Um, that's more than caffeine overdose. That, that's more than caffeine <laughs> overdose. You know, many of the symptoms are quite vague and they fall into many categories. Uh, you know, the other thing can be rashes. It can be infections that are hard to clear. Really, it's 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 difficult to diagnose it solely based on, um, on symptoms, but in many cases where things are not getting better at the speed and on the trajectory that I would expect, mold always sort of becomes top of mind. Yeah, and I think, again, with the mold thing, Mm. a lot of the symptoms that you just Mm. mentioned there can be written off as, oh, I didn't get enough sleep, or, oh, I've had too much caffeine, I've got a twitch now, or I just have, you know, I'm just really tired because I'm working too hard. So there's all these, you know, things out there like mold that are causing these problems, but a lot of people are just, ah, that's just the way it is. It's a high-paced life now, and I, I, you know, what am I going to do about it? Yeah, absolutely. So many of these symptoms that fall into the category where people have a dysfunctional level of health rather than a pathological level of health are hard to categorize. Um, The other thing that's complicated about mold is that if all three of us were in a moldy room, one person might be sick uh, and the other two might be fine. Or one person might have an allergic response to mold and be sneezing and coughing. The other person can get brain fog. It's like their energy just drained out of their body and they have some numbness and tingling. And the third person uh, could be completely fine. So the thing that's complicated about dysfunction is that really it's an exposure of our genetics involved and exposed to our environment. And not everybody's genetics are susceptible to the impact of mold exposure. And, And that kind of brings us full circle to EDS as well, Freya. And one of the big symptoms of Ehlers-Danlos is permeability. Yeah. So one of the things um, with EDS in terms of the genetic backup behind the more bendy people or what we call more porous people is that they are then susceptible. Our understanding is that they're then susceptible to a little bit more of those environmental factors because their system's already working a little bit harder every day just to kind of get by. Can you Tell us a little bit about how you've seen a higher percentage of people who are more on that spectrum as of late. Yeah, you know, it's a topic of conversation that is quite active at the moment in the chronic um, illness circles. And, you know, most things start off as observation. And then with enough people observing the correlation, then hopefully the testing catches up. So the observation at this point um, is that people with EDS seem to be more susceptible to the impact of mold exposure. Chances are it is because there is a lack of um, protection. There's more porousness in the physiology. So um, when mold is in the environment and it is exposed to that person, uh, the body's ability to get rid of it and detoxify it is uh, compromised in some way. Hopefully in the next you know, wild decade, research takes a long time to catch up. And research is complicated when it is based on genetic susceptibility. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, it's more of an observation rather than a well-documented, grounded correlation. But from my experience, I see that patients who have EDS seem to be much more commonly impacted by mold exposure. Mm -hmm. It's just another layer of complication. 
Um, and it makes sense. We just don't have the studies yet necessarily to back up that and, and create a direct conclusion. Well, and you mentioned the other major stress that you're seeing in populations is the immune stuff. And they're already a population walking in with sometimes a handful of absolutely little immune issues. Yep. So it does make sense that like anything within the environment is going to be a little bit more tweaky given that their immune system's already a little bit on high alert. Absolutely. Maybe towards other priorities. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And the body, you know, the bright, the body prioritizes its ability to protect itself. Mm-hmm trying to protect itself from, you know, invaders, invaders being toxicity or infection um, becomes a bit more complicated in a body that is a little bit more porous. Mm -hmm. So the invaders seem to be more plentiful um, and therefore the ability to clear them and to come back to a point of balance is a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And and just staying on, on the topic of mold for the moment, are we talking about mold consumed through foods are we talking about mold from water damage what are we what's the general yeah so there you know this is really again a big topic of discussion Mm -hmm. right now we know that there is mold present on many foods we eat um, especially grains they are more commonly contaminated with a byproduct called okra toxin so when we when we look at mold toxicity, it's not conclusive at the moment, but again, the sort of conversation within these circles is that food contamination plays a small role. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's going to change down the road when we have good data to support it. Um, it seems to be that exposure to water-damaged buildings is more impactful and so, and again, most commonly you see in water damaged buildings, or I see in water damaged buildings, is the presence of aspergillus and penicillium. So, aspergillus, one of its biotoxins or byproducts, is ochratoxin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could be getting some from food, um, but typically the patient who has symptoms associated with mold illness, it's usually coming from environmental exposures. Like a, a bigger. A, a much, a, yeah, a more and consistent one. Exactly. Yeah. And when yeah. you look at testing, um, it's not expected that you will have no okra toxin in your body. Mm-hmm. Again, likely because most of our, us are exposed from food. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a threshold of normal. It's like most poison, it really is dependent on um, the percentage of exposure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Everything's poisonous if you get it in the right <laughs> amount, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, actually, uh, I'm going to throw Dana under the bus here for a second. He uh, ate a raw cashew. I like a challenge. A few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and discovered rapidly that it was poisonous. And it was very interesting because he grew some blisters around his mouth. Oh, wow. And then uh, thought he was in the clear a couple days later. You know, that started to heal. It stopped growing. And then his leg swelled up. His knee swelled up and was covered in a rash. He had these little rash spots like Mm. a week or no longer, 10 days later. Mm -hmm. Um, We reviewed the video because of course there was video footage of that because we're in that day and age of a friend giggling as she filmed him and he had rubbed it all over that leg, but it didn't show up till 10 days later. So we assumed he now had an infected uh, bug bite Mm. because it was so disconnected from the first event but when we reviewed the video we saw that oh that actually that knee took a huge brunt of the poison it just took a while to kind of show up so there you go everything is poisonous (laughs) in the wrong form it didn't even taste that good nope Nope. As a matter of fact, I believe my words were when she asked me, what does it taste like? I'm like, well, it kind of tastes like cashew, a little bit like banana peel, and also it stings. <laughs> In my defense, I knew they were poisonous. I just wasn't there at the time. Um, so I require supervision. <laughs> off of that, <laughs> we'd also like to discuss um, your approach because we find that having worked with you, you're unique in the sense that you don't take a patients intake and overhaul their life, which is often what I find the expectation is for some people when they go meet a health professional, they think, okay, this person's going to either put me on 20 supplements or they're going to have to change everything in the way I eat. Can you walk us through kind of how you're trying to manage the person's um, habits in terms of what their body is used to versus introducing too much stress to the system with changes? Right. So the way that I like to work is 
I want to understand, most importantly, the basic biochemistry of the body. My philosophy is that the way that you get someone well is to find their weakness biochemically and maybe from a behavior perspective as well and try to manage it. So my goal is to understand the whole picture and try to figure out how do all the symptoms tie together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Usually I find there is one, maybe two problems, and then there are many, many, many symptoms that result from those two problems. Mm -hmm. So I'm a minimalist. I don't like to take a lot of supplements, so I just assume everyone else is the same. So I try to give as few inputs or supplement recommendations to see how much of an impact it can have. And if I have the ability to narrow in to the problems, um, I can have one input and potentially solve five problems or six mm-hmm. problems or seven problems. Mm-hmm. And from a lifestyle perspective, you know, to me, food is your medicine. I am a big believer in trying to keep the diet very variable. Um, I try not to remove most foods from people's diet, most real foods, that is. Um, Obviously, there are exceptions, and many people do not respond well to things like gluten or dairy. Um, But outside of that, I try to keep it as variable as possible. Mm. Um, When the body starts to have responses to food, it's not usually the food it's the immune system's tolerance to the food Mm -hmm. so again i try not to remove too many foods i try to re-establish tolerance in the body so the body knows that the food that's being introduced um, is safe Um, it's not to be attacked from the immune system's Mm -hmm. perspective and it is to be digested absorbed and utilized to make energy Um, And then, you know, from other lifestyle perspectives, you know, we were just talking earlier about the idea of coffee and how I love coffee and coffee is like food for my soul. So I really try to never take away soul food from people. Um, And most of our decisions, I think, are made because we're going for a feeling. Mm -hmm. And so taking away many things that create a feeling um, is not usually that successful. And often that feeling state then causes a change in the nervous system. And ultimately, the nervous system controls immune function. It controls happiness. It controls decisions. So I try to take sort of a bigger view. um, And I like to educate a lot. um, And then I hope that through education and through some objective data, it makes it easier to make decisions that are more health-promoting than destructive. Absolutely. We uh, really love from our perspective and knowing some of the people who've been to you that you give people a lot of backup on the why you're recommending Mm -hmm. something as opposed to just telling them and having them just trust. And we believe that that's what allows people to be sustainable. It's Mm -hmm. like teenagers can get it too. I coach some young athletes and if they know why we're Mm -hmm. telling them to turn off the phone at 8 p.m. or 7 Mm p.m. and get into bed at a certain time, they grab onto that and run with it so it happens at every stage but yeah just taking and going is not from my experience I find people love the logic behind it Um, you know not all our decisions are made based on logic but many of them are Mm -hmm. and logic is easy Mm -hmm. you know changing our decisions when logic is the driver is a really simple tool and we're you know we're in this time where information is everywhere Mm -hmm. but what's challenging is taking the right information and applying it to your physiology absolutely yeah context is context 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 i love that because we just did a podcast with dr Stu phillips and for example he would say you know dairy he's a protein guy Mm-hmm. So dairy is an excellent bioavailable source of protein for the sure. human body. Yeah. And so if you look at it from that perspective, that's a really positive thing in term for dairy. That's a win for dairy. Yeah. But then if you look at other aspects of mm-hmm. dairy in terms of how much lactase the body might produce on an mm-hmm. individual basis or how inflammatory mm-hmm. it might be for certain people, mm-hmm. there are the strikes against it. So on a context basis, mm-hmm. it might be something that's great for somebody, but it's something that does need to be taken away in other circumstances. Absolutely. And once you understand your body's biochemistry Mm -hmm. and you understand your weak systems versus your systems that are more susceptible, you can Mm -hmm. make logical decisions about things like dairy. Yeah. Because 
it you know to me it's not just a blanket statement that everybody should do a or everybody should not do a you want to understand how does a impact me and then create a balance and figure out you know maybe if dairy doesn't suit me well but i really 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 feel like a piece of pizza tonight maybe it's worth it. Um, but yeah, it, once you understand your unique biochemistry, it makes it a lot easier to make logical choices that then allow you to have great long-term health. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I just want to touch base on one other thing that you said, and it was that you really, you support having a diverse diet of trying to keep as many things in the diet as possible. Absolutely. Whereas we see a lot of elimination diets mm-hmm. out there when people are having gut issues and that nature mm-hmm. of thing. So why do you find it so important to keep that diversity in the diet? There's a couple of reasons. Number one, I think we want to maintain a positive relationship with food. Especially in children, I see a lot of children who come in and they're on extremely limited diets. And there are, again, there are always circumstances where changing the diet is effective and useful. Um, But the other piece of this is, is that a variable diet, especially variable amounts of fruits and vegetables, um, it feeds our microbiome and our microbiome plays a huge role in tolerance of the immune system. Mm -hmm. So the more limited the diet the more limited the food source for the microbiome and the less tolerant the physiology is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know there's a woman, Dr. Terry Wales, and she has written a few books and she essentially used diet to help to control her own MS. And one of the mechanisms of it was feeding microbiome um, using a very uh, variable, large input of fruits and vegetables. So, you know, I think we want to continuously focus on keeping the immune system tolerant. Mm -hmm. And we want to continuously look at food as a source of nourishment um, and not be afraid of it. You know, it's become very popular um, to be, I don't eat this, I don't eat this, I don't eat this, I don't eat this. And, you know, my hope is that we can continue to have a food supply that is healthy, that is health promoting, and that we can look and feel about food in what its true essence is, which is really just nourishment. And hopefully if we continue to make good choices, that's going to change industry. And when we make good choices about good health promoting food, then industry follows suit and provides that. That's fantastic. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who just, they need their rules on eating. I can't do this. I can do this. And that's Mm -hmm. how they function through life ever since, you know, we started, you know, macronutrients. And Mm -hmm. if it fits your macros and that kind of came to mainstream, Mm -hmm. people are really getting locked up into this. I need to be very precise on all my inputs. Yeah. And it, I think it causes more problem than anything. Yeah, it's hard. You know, most people, food has become a a place of fear. Mm -hmm. And so when you're given... Uh, direction and you are looking at fear from a uh, food from a fear perspective it feels more peaceful but ultimately you want to try to reestablish the fact that food shouldn't be fearful mm-hmm. and food should be health promoting uh, but like you guys know this is a big it's a big Huge. topic Huge. and yeah. food you know there's many many components but Again, because I also have young children and I see this, you know, allergies are an epidemic. I understand that their food is not safe for everybody. But if you have the luxury and choice of being able to access good food with lots of variety, mm-hmm. it I definitely think it's extremely health promoting. Yeah. And, and, and this is real food, sorry. Yeah, I'm, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about, you Nothing know, in boxes yeah, I'm and, talking about just yeah. like real food. Yeah. yeah. We love to tell our clients, you're going to be the healthiest as possible. If going through everyday life, you make more choices based on love for your body mm-hmm. than based on fear of what mm-hmm. could happen otherwise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, it's true that there, there definitely is a lot of fear around all sorts of those choices. Some of that is, I feel some of the readily accessible information that we can get on the internet because it's true if you look up anything you will find somewhere on there someone died from uh, eating too many bananas like or raw cashew or raw well yeah more easily that um (laughs) but the one challenge too is like going going through food eliminations and then going to extreme sort of okay well now i'm not gonna eat this entire food group is never super healthy unless you're dealing with a massive autoimmune thing. 
And that one, we always recommend that people work with a professional. Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to do, I mean, we like that people self-educate. We absolutely. love that because, yep. I mean, they can come to their practitioners with a little more info too. Mm-hmm. And most people, like I took functional uh, functional nutrition courses to figure out why food hurt my gut all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and turns out I was eating some things because logically they had so much nutrient density, mm-hmm. but realistically they actually just weren't driving well with my gut absolutely and that's like learning that intuitive piece of how much can you get away with and is mm-hmm. it worth it and getting away is a, a bad term for it but is that pizza mm-hmm. that's homemade that you're gonna have with your family well worth it or are you the person at the table who eats I don't know a steak instead because <laughs> that's gonna yeah. jive well um on the topic of supplements though and keeping supplements low what uh, what do you usually find with your clients nowadays? Are they using more supplements than, say, 10 years ago? Because there's yes. certainly more available. Yeah, they <laughs> definitely are. You know, some people come in with shopping bags full of supplements. You know, supplements have become sort of the cure for the ailment. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of supplements that are good, let's say, for energy. So when somebody comes in and they have low energy, they're typically taking a B vitamin, CoQ10, some iron. And all of those things can be helpful. But my approach is to figure, okay, why are you tired? Mm -hmm. Are you tired because you're not sleeping? Are you tired because um, you don't eat enough? Are you tired because you have an iron deficiency? Are you tired because you have too much stress? And so once you figure out the why, then the supplement options become more narrow Mm -hmm. and they then also become more impactful. Because if I'm tired because I don't have enough B12 and I take a lot of iron Mm -hmm. or I try to sleep more, I'm not likely going to feel a difference. But if I figure out that I have a B12 deficiency and I take B12, then I'm going to think B12 is magical. And then, you know, most people go and preach to their friends, wow, B12 is the best thing for fatigue and none of their friends benefit from it. And it's because <laughs> their fatigue is caused by something else. So, you know, yeah. people are um, self-educating, which again, I am a huge fan of. I love to talk to people who are smart and who have been reading and you need to become an expert in your own health. Mm-hmm. Um But again, like we mentioned before, it really is about context and it's understanding that yes, B vitamins can be good for energy, but they're only good for energy if the reason that you don't have enough energy is because you have a B vitamin deficiency. Well, and B vitamins operate in such a fine balance. So somebody biases one of them because they believe it provides them with more energy, but now it's throwing others out of whack. They may not necessarily be aware that now they've right. done that. Yeah, it's complicated. You know, the, yeah. the body's very complicated and things go in, they cause impact, they need to be detoxified and then they need to be cleared out. So it's not simple. It doesn't mean it's harmful necessarily to try to self-treat. You know, there's many things that you can just try and if it makes a difference and it helps, amazing. And if it doesn't, then maybe you need somebody to help you with some guidance. But yeah, I do find that people are coming in with shopping bags full of supplements supplements mm-hmm. and you know there are pros and cons to that I like to focus on food to try to get nutrients and then I like to do things to some kind of testing you know sometimes functional tests regular tests to try to figure out in that person's biochemistry where are they lacking mm-hmm. um, and where could they benefit from having an input of a supplement yeah, and that's that's where food is fun because foods carry cofactors and enzymes mm-hmm. that help with the absorption of nutrients Absolutely. and that nature of things. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, a B12 supplement or, you know, a little piece of beef, mm-hmm. they're not the same, right. you know. So one of the things I like to do with my clients is kind of, you know, say, all right, if you're low in B12, it's like, cool, we can supplement with B12. Mm-hmm. But take that B12 supplement while you're eating a piece of beef. Absolutely. You know, because then you get all the benefits of everything. Mm-hmm. And there's people out there who are averse to eating a lot of meat, for example. Mm-hmm. And I still like to encourage them to say, hey, if we get away from the extreme, extreme, extremes, just have a little bit of animal yeah. product, for example, every now and then, that can make such a massive difference in your overall health. Mm-hmm. And you can still live the lifestyle mm-hmm. and live by, you know, your code of ethics mm-hmm. and be healthy. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is trying to understand, you know, what drives that human, what decisions they are okay making mm-hmm. and being flexible. You know, really to be successful, you have to meet people where they are yep. and sometimes their decisions change over time, but respecting their parameters 
um, and respecting their uh, desire and the feeling that they're going after, mm -hmm. um, I think that helps to streamline decision making. And you don't have to fix everything at once. You, know, you pick yeah. one thing, yeah. um, have success, and then live like that for a while and see how it feels. And, yeah. and it's amazing what can happen if you fix one thing Absolutely. and see what affects that dominoes into the rest of your life. Especially if you fix problems. When you fix mm -hmm. problems rather than symptoms, you can have huge impact with a small input. Absolutely. And one of the things that we, I think we spoke in depth with the, uh, the MDs we had on the show not too long ago was how stress oh. mm -hmm. is causing such issues within health these days. And I mean, 14 years ago to today, yeah. would you say that you've seen an increase in pathologies yeah. based on stress? You know, stress is part of all of our lives. It seems to be more impactful at the moment. The awareness of the impact of stress, the amount of input and places that's trying to get our attention. And really the biggest impact that I see on stress, so stress in large amounts will change our immune response. So there will be a relative suppression of immune system activation. And also stress makes our body prioritize different functions. So when our body is in a fight or flight state, uh, things like digestion capability declines. Um, it just doesn't make the top of the list. So we can get things like gas and bloating. Mm -hmm. We can get constipation. So stress is deeply impactful, but it's also quite a challenge to treat. You know, really the way that I look at stress is that there's three input points. So you can try to manage the uh, stress itself. And so stress comes from stressful events or stressful thoughts. The thoughts is a challenging one because sometimes the thoughts are uh, real stresses or perceived stresses. But if we perceive them to be true, then the physiology responds in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, then we can try to impact the impact of the stress hormones on our physiology, or we can focus on trying to detoxify uh, the stress hormones that are produced in response to the stress. So there are lots of um, avenues to address it. And most of the time I find it's just, again, meeting the patient where they're at and trying to figure out, is meditation a good skill for you? Mm -hmm. Is exercise going to be positive by helping to break down stress hormones? Is ending some relationships? Um, is blunting the impact with some kind of pharmaceutical or nutraceutical going to be helpful? But really always keeping it top of mind mm -hmm. because stress is often an aggravating factor, if not causative, for many of the very common uh, symptom presentations that mm -hmm. we see. Well, and sometimes people build up a lot of stress around f believing that they're, uh, how do I put this, broken is a harsh term, but a mm -hmm. lot of people have been dealing with problems without a clear solution why and so then they're caught into an over like overthinking type of pattern yeah that alone can present a stress because they're stressed about their it's, health you know it's very stressful to have a consistent symptom mm -hmm. like fatigue or stomach upset or headaches uh, that doesn't fall into one of the major pathology boxes which means right. you know they've seen the gp and the gp has likely done a really good job of working up that pathology mm -hmm. If it doesn't fit into one of those boxes, you know, you're sort of left to feel that way. And that in itself can be very stressful. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I find is helpful is helping to create context around why. And right. so why is it that you feel tired midday? Um, mm -hmm. And once you can fill in the why, it can sometimes take away an element of stress because then you feel like you have a plan to address mm -hmm. it. So... Stress is definitely constant. I think most of us are trying to balance stress in our lives mm -hmm. and reduce the negative impact of stress. Um, but getting rid of it altogether, I have yet to figure out how to do that. <laughs> I've tried hard. Um, but, you know, when they say there's, you know, there's you stress, which is good stress. Yeah. We still need that. Yeah. Um, but stress is hard. And there are a lot of, you know, really positive like TED Talks out there that say you just need to reframe it. And I do agree with that in many ways. It's just like in athletics, you can get a crazy adrenaline rush before your event. 
and you could perceive that as being super nervous, but the same sensation is paired with excitement mm-hmm. and preparation. Yeah. Your body's preparing for what yeah. you're about to do. Yeah. So that kind of thing, I definitely appreciate. Yes, we do need to reframe and not mm-hmm. see it all as negative, but there are some times where it's like, no, you know what? You need a hefty slice off of your Absolutely. total stress load because yeah. it's not just your perception, it's right. taxing your physiology. And I think a lot of people just excuse it a little mm-hmm. bit um, or get worried about it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's trying to find that nice balance yeah. and understanding that the stress hormones that we produce, mm-hmm. they bathe our genetics and they then um, have impact on our underlying genetics. So again, mm-hmm. some people, they are less impacted by stress. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are more impacted by stress. So um, they, like you know, they. again, it's yeah. very, it's individual. Yeah. And it really is, again, that that association between genetic predisposition mm-hmm. and um, what bathes our genes to make our experience what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, that comes back to context, right? Mm-hmm. And being honest with yourself and understanding based on your life and in your experiences, what kind of person you might be, mm-hmm. and then just developing mechanisms to deal with that. Mm-hmm. If you're somebody who you feel you're really affected by stress and it can become chronic really easily, then you do maybe meditation is a good sign. Maybe mm-hmm. you exercise is the outlet, but you have to figure out these tools and not just look on the internet for this or that. It's mm-hmm. look at your life and your experience and say, hey, what has affected me the most negatively and what do I feel makes me feel good and really focus more energy into that. Absolutely. It really becomes a active, continuous management process that you're sort of tweaking what works, meditation, yoga, Pilates, conversation, sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many options and you know what works for you might not work for me and vice versa and we can try lots of different things but it needs to stay on the forefront we actually had um, one little piece of advice that we've given a number of people that we've worked with individually so we kind of well we know them a lot better in terms of how they tick I'm curious to know your thoughts. We tell them when they hit peak stress points throughout their day not to force a meal down because they'll stress and they'll rush and they'll be worried about this kid and that employee and they're rushing through and we'll tell them to actually just go focus have a glass of tea and then when you get time to actually breathe Mm -hmm. then have your meal and our rationale has been a you should never feel like you're forcing your food down but second of all when your brain has prioritized stress and it's in fight or flight, you're just not ready to digest. Yeah, absolutely. You want to try to get your body into a position to be readily accepting food. Yeah. You know, digestion and absorption and then utilization of those nutrients to make energy requires a relatively calm state. Mm-hmm. Um, what I sometimes suggest, which is really simple and easy, is to just take 10 to 15 deep breaths before people eat. Yes. Simple. <laughs> Often you know your digestive system is ready is when you start to hear it gurgle. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes this happens if you go have an acupuncture treatment or see an osteopath, and as soon as you lie down, your stomach starts to gurgle. That typically means that the digestive system is... Um, receiving resources like blood supply that it's being prioritized so yeah i think you know forcing food down on the run which i'm sure many of us have experienced doing doesn't usually result in a great sensation and not only are you going to feel gas and bloating but chances are you're not going to utilize the food Mm -hmm. optimally so yeah just creating a little bit of space to have a peaceful physiology and a peaceful mind You know, don't read emails that annoy you during lunch. Um, You know, if you're going to look at social media, my rule is that I just try to look at beautiful scenery pictures. Cute animals. Otters. Otters. The Faroe Islands, which is my like dream. I just look at pictures of that and my stomach gurgles and then I can eat anything. That's great. Um, But yeah, you want to set yourself up for success Mm -hmm. and success with eating and digestion and absorption and utilization of that food really just requires a calm mind, which mm-hmm. then leads to a calm body. When, Thank you for touching on that. Yeah, when people come to us with uh, digestive issues, the first thing that we always address as a low-hanging fruit is how. Are you eating your mm-hmm. meals? Not what. Because right. people, again, we go back to elimination yep. diets. People say, I need to take out this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. But are you breathing? And mm-hmm. are you making time for calm meals? Yeah. Because if you're not doing that, 
that could resolve everything. Absolutely. And so when you, again, get to the root cause, so if the root cause is just eating on the run, there's no need to cut out lots of food. That's actually the best and simplest answer. Don't eat on the run. Yeah. You know, take five minutes and go outside and enjoy your food. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got good food, be thankful. You have this amazing, fresh, you know, real food that you can eat. Yeah. Uh, It has huge impact. We we love that. Because then, you know, we, we do find a lot of people just take those 20 minutes and all of a sudden we don't need to refer them out to specialists like you because they're actually just fine. (laughs) And that's what you want. You want to try to reinforce the fact that most of the time the human being can control it themselves and to Mm re-empower them to know that if I just do this, um, again, and I'm not broken, Mm -hmm. going back to this idea of I'm broken and I need to be fixed. Yeah. uh, Really the most empowering thing to do is figure out things that that human can do themselves themselves to reinforce the fact that they're actually not broken Mm -hmm. and they just need to create the right internal environment which mostly happens from a brain perspective yeah a nervous system involvement as you mentioned earlier so now this is well the first one is the hardest question apparently Mm -hmm. what is the most impactful book you've read in the last year oh my i read so much exactly Um, (laughs) probably there's a book called the body keeps the score oh that's a great which i love we had another, uh, we love that book. We had another guest mention that one too. Uh, the yeah, other no. book um, called Toxic, yes, which is written by Neil Dr. Nathan. Neil Nathan, mm-hmm. who's my mentor and is a brilliant, yeah. brilliant physician. Um, it is uh, thorough, um, comprehensive, mm-hmm. very topical book. I just finished reading Game Changers by Dave Asprey, which oh, I really yeah. liked. Lots of little nuggets. Um, I just also finished reading Dare to Lead by Benet Brown. Yeah. I love her stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I could go on forever. No, but, these are great. Because um, I haven't read the one by Dave Asprey. The one by, um, the one you mentioned, Toxic, just for any listeners, that is such a friendly read mm-hmm. in terms of the, the, ease with which he delivers very complex information was fantastic and that's that's a good thing about that book a lot of books you can pick up and you can get a little bit freaked out um or they're too heavy but his was so well laid out yeah Yeah, it's very well laid out it's very timely yes Um, yeah yeah it's a great read yeah it's a great read and and all of these books and their authors will be in the show notes so be sure to check that for all the details because these are all uh great suggestions And one thing we like to ask everyone is, what is your one non-negotiable self-care tool that you do every day? That is a great question. Uh, She's got her coffee in yeah, hand. I'm like, so. it's coffee. You can um, coffee. I consistently drink coffee every day. I think my one self-care tool is that I um, am very aware of having gratitude. Mm-hmm. So I wake up every day and I am grateful for the choices that I have the luxury of making. I live in a safe environment. I have the luxury of having access to great food. Um, I have healthy children. So that is probably my most important tool. And I'm Mm -hmm. grateful for the people I work with. I'm grateful for the patients that I get to interact with. And I think that the gratitude then changes my perspective. So even if it's a hard, dark day, which happens, um, I still make a very um, concerted effort to see the good moments in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you for touching on that because I think sometimes people hear that and they think it's a little too Mm wishy-washy to fully understand that that actually, I mean, it's worth the 60 seconds absolutely you know to acknowledge it to write it down whatever it is and um and really we are i mean just being in canada i'm we're very lucky we're extremely yeah. lucky we were recently somewhere else and uh they ran out the city the whole city ran out of water in december wow and that's something that we tend not to have to even think about here and i'm not saying we have to paint a negative picture of what someone else is going through somewhere else in order to be grateful but it's just those little things it's like no they actually they go a long way so thank you for touching on that that's great and again this might be a similar answer but if you had five minutes with someone mm-hmm. what is one thing you would try and impart on them to help them with their well-being 
how do I say this eloquently? <laughs> um, I'm excited now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> to me, the most important thing is state of mind. Because our decisions come from two places. Logic, which to me is really easy. It's easy to read, to gather facts. Um, but the second place that our decisions come from is going after a feeling. So I think it's really important to become aware of the feelings that you value, you know, be it safety, be it peace, be it uh, being frantic. You know, sometimes we just value what we are used to. So just being aware of what drives our decisions, because when we can understand what drives us and we drive our decisions and our decisions essentially control our genetics, because we can't change our genes, but we can change the decisions that we make that then bathe our genes in information such as food, uh, thoughts, our environment, um, our relationships. So to me, that's the most important piece. It's probably the hardest piece. And so I try to talk about it um, every time I interact with people. And I'm obviously I'm learning it myself you know, self-awareness and understanding our driving motivation, I think allows us to become very uh, intentional, effective, happy human beings. And uh, social awareness, right? Because that yes. self-awareness and then how you are transformed if you all of a sudden change your environment or Absolutely. change your company and then seeing how that kind of catalytic effect can Absolutely. go through your physiology. Where can people best find you apart from coming? Well, no, this is one of the key places, but are there other places that you are online or publishing anything or posting anything? It's a good question. <laughs> I sort of stay below the radar. Yeah. Um, you know, I, this was really fun. The podcast was yeah. fun. Maybe I'm going to do more of them down the road. Um, mostly you can find me on my website, babynaturalhealth.com. Perfect. Um, I hope in the future to do more teaching yeah. and maybe do more blogging. Uh, this has inspired me. So <laughs> thank you. Well, and we like to say that we have, uh, you started off at the beginning saying that you like to surround yourself with other intelligent people mm -hmm. who are constantly striving to learn. Yeah. We like to do the same. And part of the reason we established our podcast is so many people within our circle do fly under the radar, not for their patients. Like they're very present and they're very well uh, respected, but we also, it, it's different than um, what Stu Phillips called noise versus signal. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to bring out the people who have really strong signals. <laughs> And well, thank, thank you, you for being yeah, a guest on yeah. ours because uh, it's different than, yeah, it's different than the noise. But we know that a lot of people like yourself are fully immersed with their work, with their patients. Mm -hmm. They're not Yeah, you can get out just there busy as much. in the day-to-day yeah. -day and learning. You know, I go to tons of conferences mm -hmm. and I'm always learning and trying to figure out how to integrate that. But yeah. I do think the next step is to try to maybe take this message and take my little perspective mm -hmm. and put it out into the world. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, everybody should watch out for Dr. Sharon Kelly's message. Should she take it more mainstream? Because <laughs> that signal's gone out. That signal's gone out. Um, she's a very intelligent lady, as I'm sure you just realized over the past 55 minutes. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Sharon. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Move Daily Health Podcast. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.